0: Part of the problem with a lot of Lyme docs is that they're going directly at the infection, they hit it hard with antibiotics or antimicrobials or whatever they're using, and then they take them back, and then the symptoms come back because the infection comes back because they haven't dealt with the reason why the immune system's not there to help them out. But it has to be this combination of immune system plus antimicrobials in order to bring those bugs back into balance so that when you are done treating, you're actually done.
1: Welcome to the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from Dr. Evan Hirsch, and I'm going to forewarn you here, we're going to dive deep into some topics that may potentially be new to you. Chapter nine of my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, gets into the importance of strengthening the immune system, which I compare to that protective roof of your home. I talk a little bit about mold, Lyme, and viruses there. And today in our discussion, we're gonna dive even deeper into various other causes of fatigue, discussing co-infections like Babesia and Bartonella, which are some of the 33 causes Dr. Hirsch has found for fatigue. Welcome to another episode of the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today I have on my show Dr. Evan Hirsch. He is the number one best-selling author of Fix Your Fatigue, the four-step process to resolving fatigue, achieving abundant energy, and reclaiming your life. He is also one of the world's leading experts on finding the root causes of fatigue and resolving them naturally. He suffered with fatigue for five years before he achieved resolution using the Fix Your Fatigue program that he developed in his medical practice. He has helped thousands of people optimize their energy naturally and is on a mission to help one million more through his online programs and the training of providers. He works mainly with exhausted, health-conscious, everyday people who can't reach their potential because of fatigue and low energy. In 2018, he transitioned to a virtual practice so that he could work remotely with people around the world. He now helps other doctors do the same so they can have more impact, more success, and greater quality of life. He has lectured nationally and internationally on topics in integrative and functional medicine and is board certified in family medicine and integrative medicine. When he's not at the office, you can find him singing in musicals, playing basketball, traveling, dancing hip-hop, and spending time with his wife and daughter. So welcome to the show, Dr. Hirsch. Did I say your name correctly? You,
0: you did great. <laughs> Dr. Stephanie, thanks so much for having me on.
1: You bet. Well, let's open with your story. I, a lot of patients of mine and myself have suffered with fatigue, and you have as well. So I'd like to dive deeper into that. Can you share your story and kind of how you healed yourself from fatigue?
0: Absolutely. So I was just starting my family medicine residency program I graduated medical school, very exciting time in my life. I moved out to the West coast just South of Seattle and I met my wife. She was, she was living and working locally. We fell in love and three months later, she couldn't get out of bed. And that lasted for three years. So that was my first taste of it. And here I am, supposed to be at the the pinnacle of my education, and I'm asking everybody and their mother about fatigue. And there's really not much from a conventional standpoint. And so I started digging elsewhere because I knew that I had to find additional answers. So then after that, then she got better over time and she got better with saunas and boosting adrenals and doing a lot of emotional work. That was like a big one for her. And then we got married, we had a kid, we, I started a practice, graduated residency, all that sort of stuff. And then a couple of years later, I crashed out with fatigue and I had it for five years. And so that really put me on, on the path to figuring out, I knew that if I could figure out the causes that I could resolve my fatigue, but I didn't realize that, that there were going to be 33 different causes and that I was going to have all of them.
1: Wow. I want to get into those. <laughs> so you're a fatigue expert. So how does treating fatigue and finding all these causes also optimize longevity specifically?
0: Yeah, so that's that's a great question. And so it's kind of two sides to the coin. You know, if you can treat fatigue, you can pretty much treat anything because like I said, 33 different causes. It just so happens that those 33 causes are also causes of dysfunction and the opposite of longevity so we know that you know the main killers in this life heart disease heart attack stroke cancer alzheimer's all of those things are actually caused by those same things that cause fatigue so fatigue is just the sign that these things are wrong earlier, oftentimes, than some of these other ones where, you know, they're just going, these causes are going to attack different parts of the body. They're going to fester over longer periods of time.
1: So, let's get into those causes. Where do we start?
0: (laughs) I know, right? Yeah, don't (laughs) don't get overwhelmed by 33 different causes. So, they really can be broken up into deficiencies and toxicities. So, deficiencies are things that aren't in the body that need to be And, and toxicities are things that are in the body that aren't supposed to be in the body. So deficiencies are things like hormones, nutrients, lifestyle habits, like not enough sleep, not enough good food, not enough water, not enough exercise things like mitochondrial dysfunction, you know, the mitochondria is in every cell in the body except for red blood cells, and it produces 70 to 80% of of the energy that we have. I saw that, that you guys at uh, Longevity Blueprint have a great mitochondrial product, you know, that fits right in there. And then the toxicities are all about things like heavy metals, you know, 100,000 pounds of mercury are dumped into our oceans every single year that we're exposed to. Chemicals, 84,000 chemicals we're exposed to on a regular basis that haven't been appropriately assessed by the FDA, everything from cosmetics, to plastics, the pesticides. You know, molds, about half of the buildings in our country are water damaged, and most of those have mold. And then infections, you know, CDC went from saying that we had 30,000 cases of Lyme a year to 300,000 cases of Lyme a year just a couple of years ago. And I see a lot of those different kinds of what are stealth infections or sometimes there's infections in the gut like yeast, bacteria, parasites, and then negative emotions. Like I talked about, my wife got better working on her emotions. You know, all of these things are going to stress out the body and the body, the body's like a big barrel. And as you fill it up with crap, eventually you get to a tipping point. And when that happens, then you start to get symptoms, whether it's fatigue, autoimmunity, cancer, you know, and so our goal is to poke a hole in the bottom, remove all of those toxicities, replace those deficiencies, and let the body do the rest.
1: Sounds easy, but it's not. Let's go back <laughs> to improving mitochondrial function. So I've actually had a couple previous guests talk about diet for improving mitochondrial health with Dr. Terry Walls, also from Iowa. Um, I also have had two different clinicians talk about peptides for boosting mitochondrial function, uh, which was very interesting. Let's talk briefly about the top nutrients that will energize our mitochondria, really fuel the mitochondria. So break down your your top three or four favorites.
0: So I like CoQ10, D-ribose, and acetyl L-carnitine.
1: Awesome. So let's talk about each of those and even dosing. Obviously, we're not giving medical advice. This is all educational. (laughs) Um, But let's talk about how those work and how you dose them in your patients.
0: So I actually use them in a combination product, but we will, and that product is called ATP-360. I just find it to be incredibly supportive um, because there is a synergy, but we can definitely talk about individual dosing as well. So, you know, acetyl-L-carnitine is generally dosed at 500 to 1,000 milligrams usually two times a day. Um, what I like to do with mitochondrial support, as well as with a lot of these other stimulating products like adrenals, thyroid, B12, is I like to give them in the morning. Um, usually morning, sometimes at noon, but I find that that really helps re, you know, recreate the circadian rhythm. A lot of these people have sleep issues that I deal with and I get more people to sleep by giving them things in the morning, like adrenals, thyroid, mitochondrial support than I do by giving them anything at night. So, acetylcarnitine in that dosing, the D-ribose is usually 5 or 10 grams, 1 to 2 times a day. And then the CoQ10, I like 200, sometimes 300 milligrams per day, usually in the morning.
1: Sure. So, so, those can help literally fuel our mitochondria. I had one of my staff members this week actually ask me, well, how do I test my mitochondria? Is there a test to tell me if they're, you know, if they're, deficient <laughs> if they don't have the energy they need and I had to think about that for a second and I thought well there really isn't a test that I know of <laughs> other than we can run a nutritional deficiency assessment looking at levels of coenzyme q10 I have I don't think to my knowledge we can't test Dribose levels in the body that I know of we can test carnitine levels for sure um, we can test things like glutathione so that was my answer to her that we can test to see if you're nutritionally deficient. And if you are, we can assume (laughs) your mitochondria need help. (laughs) How would you answer that question?
0: (laughs) So for people with fatigue, they all have mitochondrial dysfunction, you know, and, and a lot of that comes from the fact that the toxicities All damage the mitochondria. So, the heavy metals, chemicals, molds, infections, I call those the usual suspects. They all essentially squash the mitochondria. And so, yes, we need to give it the fuel, like we're talking about with these nutrients, but then we also have to remove the crap. I love saying crap. The crap off of the mitochondria so that it can come back to life.
1: So, you have a process. So, let's go through that. Let's try to make the complex simple. So, what's your four step process that you use to remove these causes?
0: So, the first step is to assess, and this is to figure out the exact causes that people have. So, when I see people who have fatigue, they generally have around 20 or so of the 33 different causes. Now, once again, don't get overwhelmed because actually you can determine 75% of those causes can be determined by symptoms alone. So I have people, I've got a 70 plus page packet in my program where people go through and they're able to check off their symptoms and determine what their causes are for that 75%. The other 25% are a lot of the usual suspects, the heavy metals, chemicals, molds, and infections that we like to get testing on. But then you can actually determine, you know, what's going to be the best use of your time and your money. But the first step is to assess then you find out which causes you have and then you take it to step two, which is to replace the deficiencies. Now I should stop here and say this whole process is all about step four. It's all about the toxicities. It's all about the usual suspects. If you get, take nothing else from this lecture, it's about finding your causes and removing the toxicities. But the thing is we can't go directly at the toxicities because people just feel worse. If you start detoxing, if you start removing this crap out of the body, you have to boost up those things that are deficient first. So adrenals and thyroid and sex hormones and mitochondria and fix the lifestyle habit and all that sort of stuff, because people are going to feel better faster by doing that. You know, they get a couple upticks in their energy. They go from a three out of 10 with 10 being ideal to a five out of 10 changes their life. And then they have a lot more energy to then go into step three which is opening up detoxification pathways so that we can go into step four and remove those toxicities. Now, so that's step two. Step three is opening up those detox pathways. And the way that I like to think about the body and detoxification is like the series of tubes so that, you know, like the the intestines are a tube. Got to make sure that you're pooping twice a day ideally, but if it's a good one once a day, then that's okay. But make sure you're going to the bathroom, make sure that liver and kidney pathways are open. You're drinking enough water. You're taking the herbs you need to take that the lymph or the garbage system of the body has been opened. Cause if you start dumping things, if you start pulling things out of the tissues into the lymph and guess what? And it's clogged downstream. It's just going to be coming back up into your sink se. So it's important to have all those pathways open because once you start pulling those things out, you're going to feel worse if you don't have those pathways open.
1: Totally agree. And in my book in chapter five of the longevity blueprint, I compare the laundry room in our home <laughs> to the liver and gallbladder, and I should have included more lymph there. So maybe round two, I will, but <laughs> um, but essentially, you can't wash your clothes without soap and water, right? So you need in in this analogy i'm saying you need the proper nutrients to help your liver and gallbladder function appropriately and so that's what it sounds like in your four-step process you're priming the body to have enough of the nutrients necessary so that you can get the tubes open and you can prime the detox pathways, so that when you get to step four it's going to work well and you're not going to have as many side effects through that process of treating those infections
0: yeah i love that analogy that's great
1: I get asked all the time, what's one product that I just can't live without when it comes to maintaining my own health and longevity? And my answer is something you've actually heard me mention on several episodes. It's called Mitochondrial Complex, and it's pretty much the Cadillac of multivitamins. And it's packed with antioxidants, including three key players, acetyl-L-carnitine, alpha-lipoic acid, and N-acetylcysteine. Think of a steam engine that requires coal to be continually shoveled into the furnace to power the train forward. Acetyl-L-carnitine does that for your body by shoveling short-chain fatty acids into your cells to provide your body with energy. This is an absolutely essential task to keeping you running. However, what's a byproduct of fire? You guessed it, smoke. Unfortunately, in this analogy, smoke from fire equals free radicals. To combat those free radicals, other antioxidants are needed, and that's where alpha lipoic acid and N acetylcysteine come in. Together, they scavenge free radicals and help boost and recharge glutathione, the most potent antioxidant in the body. To top it off, mitochondrial complex also contains a little bit of green tea extract, broccoli seed extract with sulforaphane, and even resveratrol. Research has shown that when athletes and individuals that are under stress begin taking this product, they are less likely to get sick as they're giving their body what it needs to conquer those stressors. Who doesn't need protection from stress and cellular damage at this time. I certainly do. I take this product every day. If you're interested in learning more about how mitochondrial complex can help support you living a longer, healthier life, check out my blog post on why antioxidants are important found at your longevity blueprint.com forward slash why antioxidants r important or in chapter four of my book, your longevity blueprint. To get 10% off our mitochondrial complex, just use code ENERGY when checking out at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now, let's get back to the show. So let's talk about chronic infections. So I, we live, I live in Iowa here, and we do have lots of patients who have had Lyme disease. Uh, I would say more commonly what I find is mold. We've had several floods here, and a lot of my patients have been subject to Mold from the floods, but also, as you mentioned, fifty percent of you know commercial buildings have water damage, and I have seen mold destroy <laughs> patients' health. Luckily, many of them have been able to rebuild that, but it took a while um, for us to find that through proper assessment, <laughs> uh, like one of your steps here. So, can you speak a little bit to chronic infections and what you see? So, I've seen a lot of mold. I see a little bit of lime. But all of those can be difficult to treat, and we know that co-infections can exist, which I think you call stealth infections in your in your book. Your book is very comprehensive. I highly highly recommend it. So feel free to speak to that. <laughs> But I want to spend some time on chronic infections because I think this is probably one of the top neglected steps with conventional medicine. They're not finding a lot of these infections. So patients are never getting treated and they're never getting better. So uh, many functional medicine practitioners know to improve gut health. They know to repeat nutritional deficiencies, but they never get to the infection part. And I think that's something that really in your book stands out. So let's, I'll just give the microphone back to you and start talking about infections.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a really important point because I totally agree agree with you. You know, a lot of times if you're seeing like a, a Lyme specialist, oftentimes they're just doing Lyme. They're not looking at mold or heavy metals or chemicals. And there's going to be, you know, if you're not looking at a broad differential, if you're not looking at 33 different causes, you know, you're going to miss something. And then the person's, you know, they'll they'll probably keep getting better, but they're just not going to get all the way better. Um, mold is such an important topic. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and then we'll get to infections in just a little bit. Um, but yeah the you know i've found that you can't get rid of infections if somebody's got mold you know the mold and specifically mold but heavy metals and chemicals also are going to basically take that immune system hijack it off into left field and then the bugs that are present have a party cuz most of the time you know, these bugs are living in balance, right? We're actually 90% bug cells and 10% human cells, which always drives me crazy. And other people, you know, when you think about those stats, they're really amazing. But most of these bugs, we actually are existing in balance. You know, sometimes you get a big inoculation from a tick um, or you get some sort of exposure you know but a lot of this stuff we get coming out of the womb. You know, mom's dump all their good stuff and bad stuff into the baby through the placenta. And then you're walking around in your life until you have a number of stressful hits and then those bugs become opportunistic. So you don't have to necessarily get bitten by a tick to have borrelia or bartonella or babesia or any one of these guys that are known as Lyme type infections. You know, oftentimes they're in until they're not. You know, and it can be any sort of stressor because the adrenals manage stress and they manage the immune system and the immune system manages these bugs. But it could be a, a mental, emotional stressor. Like for me, it was medical school. You know, some people have divorce. Some people have abuse. You know, it can be a number of these things, mental, emotional, and then physical, like having a mold infest, infestation you know and when i was in medical school i guess medical school didn't do me any favors but when i was in medical school i also had exposure to mold one of the places that i lived in cats used to pee on the cardboard in the basement you know get your cardboard out of the basement because <laughs> cardboard grows mold very readily um, and so that was that was one of those things that kind of puts you over and then the infections become opportunistic so definitely get assessed for mold and mold I see is really a two-part process. You have to stop your exposure to mold. So you have to make sure you're not living in it. And then you have to get the mold out of your body because there's plenty of people that I see that have mold in their body and they don't have any mold in their home. And that's because maybe when they were five years old, they lived in a moldy place for six to 12 months and it's still in their body when they're 55 years old because they haven't done anything to get rid of it. So that's a really important point.
1: Yeah, that is. That is. And I think genetically, some of us are programmed to be able to clear out mold toxins more easier than others. So that can explain why a couple can live in the same house and one is significantly impacted while the other feels just fine and doesn't quite understand, <laughs> which is something that I appreciate also in your book. You say you got to get the spouse on board because <laughs> it is really, it's really important. For, and, and I had a patient just yesterday who said, I just, I can't, I can't go there right now with mold because my husband is not on board. And she's just frustrated and said, I can't. I, I can't go there, but we'll talk next year. <laughs> and <laughs> to me, that's, oh, I don't want to wait a year. You know, I, I want her to address that, but that's the reality. Um, let's, so let's go back to mold here or stay on the mold topic. How do you assess for mold in your patients? What is your favorite way to assess for that?
0: So for assessing for the mold in the patient, I really like a urine mycotoxin test. So that can be through Great Plains Labs. That can be through real-time labs. I generally like to do a provocation. So I'll have people take liposomal glutathione, 500 milligrams twice a day for a week, and that just you know, pushes more mold out so you have more of a positive test. It doesn't skew the test. It just gives you, I think, a more real answer.
1: Sure. And then what are your favorite binders? So let's say the patient has several different mycotoxins on that test. Obviously, we need to get them out of the moldy environment if they are still in one. What are your favorite binders to treat mold?
0: Yeah. So I'm a fan of a com- of combining them, you know, so I don't usually go with one or the other. I know that there are, you know, theoretically based off of the mycotoxin that's present, you can use a specific binder, but I just don't buy it. I think that, you know, rotating them or, or having multiple happening at the same time can be really supportive. So I'll use activated charcoal, I'll use fulvic acid, which is shilajit. I'll use, I don't know if it, that's how it's pronounced, but I like to say that word, shilajit. Um, I'll use uh, some French clays that I really like. And these come in you know, combination products. And then flaxseed and different fibers you know, can also be really supportive. But yeah, like you said, like binders, are the, are, they're huge. Binders plus glutathione is usually you know a, a, a wonderful one-two punch and having those pathways open.
1: Now, do you find with some of your clients, I, when I started treating patients for mold, patients were feeling better, but sometimes their testing would get worse initially before it would get better because they're dumping more toxins, which is a good thing. Do you also see that?
0: I do, but I also don't test that frequently. You know, So, I will, I'm going to treat them for six months at least generally before I test. Um, and, a lot, and I'm going off of their subjective experience anyway, And I'm addressing all these causes. And it's like, okay, if I'm not having results, then I'm going to test sooner. But most of the time they're progressing and it's like, okay, we're on the right track. Um, Yeah. So I don't see that that often anymore, but yes, absolutely. That's true. Do
1: you find that most of your moldy patients are moldy because of environmental contributors? Or do you actually see foods be problematic for them also?
0: Yeah, I think it's 95% environmental. You know, I know that, you know, they say that for some of these that they're food related. And yes, you know, there is mold in peanuts. There is mold in coffee. Like you have to pay attention to these things. Yeah, I think I think it's it's almost all the time environmental for the most part, because I think that those small amounts that people get in food often. I mean, you've got a pH of one to three. And if your stomach acid is correct, it's going to take care of a lot of that. Um, So, yeah, that's my thought.
1: So we mentioned fatigue as being one of the main symptoms of many of these infections. But what other symptoms do you commonly see in your patients that maybe is part of your symptom questionnaire?
0: Yeah, so I love talking about this because a lot of times there's aha moments that people have, but there's conglomeration of symptoms that are associated with a lot of these infections. You know, even the Centers for Disease Control say that the Western blot test is just for epidemiologic studies, it's not for diagnosis, and that the clinical diagnosis is actually more accurate. And so that means the symptoms that kind of come together that show up that are more reflective of a particular infection. So for example, Bartonella, which is found in upwards of 50% of all domestic animals, in acutely, it's considered cat scratch fever, you get like a large lymph node, oftentimes a rash. But chronically, it shows up with neck pain, headaches sometimes migraines body pain um, oftentimes misdiagnosed as fibromyalgia these people have a hard time falling asleep and staying asleep they'll have anxiety and or depression but some of the big symptoms are like pain on the bottom of the feet or pain in the hands and the feet sometimes it's like bone deep bone pain but sometimes it's burning on the bottom of the feet or a tenderness on the bottom of the feet where they get out of bed and they really want to wear slippers all day long or get right into their shoes. Um, usually misdiagnosed as plantar fasciitis. So whenever I hear plantar fasciitis, I always think of Bartonella. Oftentimes, these people,
1: it sounds like. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Um, oftentimes there's muscle cramps, usually at night, usually in the calves, and sometimes those will get better by taking magnesium and potassium or drinking more water or quinine but those are band-aids and generally you're just kind of treating the bartonella that's that's present and then all, and then it causes thyroid issues you know one of the main causes that i found of of autoimmune thyroid or Hashimoto's is Bartonella and I found that serendipitously I started treating Bartonella and I made people who were on thyroid hyperthyroid and I was able to take about 50% of the people who are on thyroid off of their thyroid to a certain extent when they also had Bartonella. So that's one of the really interesting ones that I see. Another one is Babesia. So Babesia will cause intense sweating. So this is considered the North American malaria so it causes cyclical sweating i mean sometimes it's every couple days sometimes it's every couple of weeks every couple of months but oftentimes you'll soak the sheets at night sometimes you're the hottest person in the room where you know you'll see these people outside shoveling snow and t-shirts um I mean, that might be for other reasons as well but <laughs> but usually they're the hottest person in the room oh i forgot to say bartonella is usually cold hands cold feet that's not relieved with thyroid Conversely, with Babesia, which is usually the hottest person in the room, they'll usually have awful sleep, worse than Bartonella. They'll have awful anxiety to the point of panic, oftentimes panic attacks at night. They'll have awful depression to the point of suicidal thoughts. Most of the people who commit suicide who have these Lyme-type infections usually also have Babesia sometimes they'll also have some sort of lung issues usually a cough but you don't have to have all those symptoms you just kind of have to have one or two of them that are really significant and then with Borrelia you know which is the main one for Lyme we named for Lyme Connecticut back in the 80s you can't have Borrelia unless you have a couple of symptoms so you have to have symptoms that come and go so you have d- good days and bad days and you have to have symptoms that move around the body so, joint pain, muscle pain, or nerve pain that moves around the body. And sometimes it's moving day to day. Sometimes it's moving week to week. Sometimes it's moving month to month where it'll be like, okay, I got joint pain here. And then a couple of weeks later, then I got joint pain in my knee. You know, so it's kind of moving around the body. You've got electrical pain or numbness and tingling and, you know, one hand one week, and then the next week it's in the foot. So, but if you don't have those symptoms, there's really not much else that causes that besides Borrelia.
1: So, going back to when you were saying uh, most diagnosis is based on clinical symptoms, are you saying that there does not exist um, real accurate testing, not just for Lyme, but also for Babesia and Borrelia?
0: Yes. I mean, the best test that I have found is the DNA connections test, which anybody can order. You don't need a doctor's order. Um, it's expensive it's i think 650 right now but it's a urine pcr test so a pcr is looking at the dna of the bug and you do want to provoke this test i provoke every test i can if it's available um, but with intense exercise for 30 minutes or a lymph massage and that pushes the the bugs out of their hiding places and then you collect them in your urine but i have found that to be the best test if let's say i'm missing you know let's say somebody's got Anaplasma, you know, which has less specific symptoms, um, oftentimes that can be supportive for helping us to figure it out. Or sometimes with these infections, to make things even more complicated, is sometimes based off of where you are in the world, sometimes these symptoms associated with these infections are flip-flopped. So, you know, people on the East Coast, sometimes all the symptoms that I said about Bartonella might be from Babesia. Them. And I think a lot of this has to do with swapping DNA. I've I've kind of, I haven't heard anybody else describe this term, but I think that sometimes people have Bortonesia, which is a combination of Borrelia, Bartonella, and Babesia, and they're like in the biofilm, which is their hiding place. They're swapping DNA with each other, and we get some of these super bugs. And you, you start going after part of that bug, and the rest of the bug comes out, which I call the whack a mole effect. You're knocking one down, and the other one pops up. So yeah, so that's that's generally what I see.
1: Very interesting. Now, did I hear you right in saying that you do not have to have a tick bite to have these infections? So if, if that's he's nodding yes. <laughs> so if that's the case, where are these coming from? Are you saying they're being passed down in utero or how else is someone exposed to these?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So, passed down in utero, anybody you kiss, any sexual contact, anything that takes a blood meal? So, we've now found them in the bellies of mosquitoes, chiggers, biting flies, you know, in addition to ticks.
1: Those all can spread. So, you're saying all those could be sources of spreading?
0: Yeah, because you're taking blood from one animal and you're giving it to another. You know, you're swapping fluids between, you know, humans, you know, with sexual contact and whatnot. That's so common, you know, where I see a couple and it's like, well, you know, I didn't get worse until we got together. And oftentimes, both people are bringing their own bugs to the equation. And sometimes, you know, I mean, I'm working with a couple right now where both of them have been affected negatively by the other person's bugs.
1: I see that commonly with yeast. And that yeast is easy, <laughs> well, a lot of times, easy to swap back and forth. So a lot of times I'll look at my patient's tongues. So if the husband is in the appointment with the wife, sometimes he's the yeasty one. <laughs> I look at his tongue and he may not be a patient, but he may need to become a patient <laughs> to, in order to <laughs> appropriately treat both for, for yeast to get rid of their symptoms. So I'm glad that you glad that you brought that up can you speak a little bit to biofilms? So you alluded to them, tell the audience what a biofilm is and why it's so important that we use biofilm busters to be able to treat these infections.
0: Yeah. So biofilm or collagenous material, it's kind of like this jelly-like substance that exists on our mucosal membrane. So all the way along from the mouth to the anus and throughout the body and things like to hide in there. So, you know, you can have, it's kind of made up of, of, um, heavy metals oftentimes and there's like this matrix that ends up getting created and so part of this process and then the bugs hide underneath it and they swap dna with each other you know which makes for all sorts of different kinds of permutations of these infections that have to be remedied and so oftentimes you get to a point where somebody still has symptoms but they are they're not a hundred percent better you've gotten them to a certain point where then you have to go after the biofilm you know if you break up the biofilm without having like like an antimicrobial on board or ability their ability to detox or ability to bind then you're asking for trouble because it just releases everything that's been hiding that has kind of your body has maintained a homeostasis you know your body is trying to maintain a balance with a lot of these individual infections. And so you want to make sure that you're doing it in a judicious manner so that you're not releasing them at the wrong time. Because when you do release them, you want to make sure that you're killing them, you're binding them up, and your pathways are open so that you can get the crap out.
1: Very good. So I know that treating all of these causes can be very complex, which is why listeners need to have a very experienced practitioner like yourself to walk them through this. So, I know you can't just answer this in, you know, two minutes, but can you tell me typically in what order you like to treat these sort of infections as well as heavy metals? Because I think that's really important. So, you don't have to explain all of it, but just briefly (laughs) mention the importance of the order that you believe. Is it yeah.
0: Perfect? So what I like to do is I'm always going for the, uh, the biggest shift in somebody's life. You know, I want to affect change as quickly as possible. So I'm going for the bug who's front and center, a typically a co-infection. You generally don't go after Borrelia or Lyme first. You're generally going after some of the other ones. And sometimes there are there are worse offenders. But like if somebody's coming to me and they've got pain on the bottom of the feet and they've got muscle pain and problems sleeping and blah blah whatever, but they also have the occasional night sweat, I might go after Bartonella first because that's more front and center in terms of the symptoms. And then oftentimes Babesia is going to pop out, but then all of a sudden they're sweating like crazy. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, that's generally what happens. Babesia pops out. Then we start adjusting Babesia. Um, and as we get through those, if symptoms start rotating around the body and whatnot, some of these other ones get worse, then we'll start treating Borrelia. And it's not uncommon to layer these. Um, I do like to do things, you know, changing one variable at a time so that we can be more scientific. Um, and so we do our best to do that, but sometimes we have to address other things at the same time. I usually start, almost always, I start with binders before we get to treating the infections because the binders oftentimes are going to be getting heavy metals, chemicals, and molds. And like I said, if you want to get rid of infections, you have to make sure that you're getting rid of heavy metals, chemicals, and molds because otherwise the immune system is not functional and you have to have a somewhat functional immune system in order to help you get rid of the infections. I mean, part of the problem with a lot of Lyme docs is that they're going directly at the infection, they hit it hard with antibiotics or antimicrobials or whatever they're using, and then they they take them back and then the symptoms come back because the infection comes back because they haven't dealt with the reason why the immune system's not there to help them out. But it has to be this combination of immune system plus antimicrobials in order to bring those bugs back into balance so that when you are done treating, you're actually done.
1: That triggers a couple extra questions here. So one, going back to heavy metals, you mentioned that many of your tests you recommend provocation before. So I assume that also would equate to heavy metal testing. So for our listeners, can you briefly describe what your favorite type of heavy metal test is? Who you use for that?
0: So I use doctor's data and um, I use a, I used to use a pre and a post provoked and that's still, I think that's still more of the gold standard, but in the interest of time and finances and whatnot, I generally just use a post right now. And so I have people provoke with DMSA, which is uh, what I believe to be the most broad spectrum. DMPS is better for mercury. EDTA is better for lead. But you know, with me working virtually with people, it's better to have a capsule. And so the DMSA is in a capsule form. Um, people can order it, um, and then and they don't need a doctor's order to do it. And uh, that's kind of a that's kind of an aside. Um, but uh, but then you use that in order to push the heavy metals out of the tissues. And then you collect it in the urine for the next six hours.
1: So essentially what, he, what you're saying is upon provocation, if we, we give the patient something that's supposed to provoke metals that are in hiding and storage to come out, if they're coming out in the urine, we know, oh, they are in the body. They are in storage. We need to be more aggressive with getting them out.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. There's no, there's no heavy metals in the DMSA. You know, like if you're going to see heavy metals in your urine, it's coming from you. You know, and so, and this, they're all hiding inside the tissues. And so we have to pull them out and then, uh, and then collect the urine.
1: Another question. So how do you, which again, you just very, can give me a very brief answer here, but you mentioned that many Lyme docs aggressively use antibiotics and they're, you know, rotating them or maybe pulsing them. What do you use for antimicrobials? What have you found to be most effective at treating these infections that you find?
0: Yeah, so there's a number of different products that I like. Most of the time, they're kind of combination products. I like products from Beyond Balance, that are specific for Babesia, Bartonella, uh, Epstein Barr virus, other viruses, mycoplasma, and also from Byron White formulas. So those are kind of my favorite. And I, you know, sometimes I'll start with them topically, depending on how sensitive an individual is, you know, where they're rubbing the, it into their hands every night before they go to bed, every couple days, you know, and then I work them up to. You know, ten drops twice a day, or something like that, um, depending on what their success is and what their um, how their symptom progression um, progresses.
1: Are those mostly herbal then, or like
0: homeopathy? Yeah, they're all they're all herbal combinations.
1: Wonderful. So, how do you know if you can help someone improve their fatigue and their longevity, primarily by their symptom questionnaire, or (laughs) how do you know if you can help your patient?
0: That's a great question. So, it's all about the causes. So, if somebody comes to me and they've addressed all of the causes and they've addressed them with the appropriate therapies, because it's really, you know, in simplest form, it's you figure out what causes you have and then you use the right treatments and then you get better. But if somebody still has fatigue, then they haven't found all the causes or they haven't used the right treatments. And so, that's how I know if I can get them better because. They, they haven't addressed everything, but I've never met anyone who has addressed all of their causes and still has fatigue.
1: Good. Wonderful. Um, tell us the name of your book. Tell us a little bit about that and how viewers can connect with you.
0: Yeah. So book is called Fix Your Fatigue and it takes you through the four step process. It's on Amazon. I feel very blessed. It's been a bestseller and you can get it on Kindle. You can get it as a paperback. Um, and then the updated version of that uh, that gives a lot more handholding is my course because the book is a couple years old now at this point, two, three years old um, and, it, and it still has great protocols and I dump a lot of great stuff in there. But if you want the latest and greatest, it's in the course. And the course takes you through my four step process. It's got videos associated with all the steps along the way. I have a 70 plus page workbook like I talked about that takes you through figuring out exactly what causes you have. And then exactly how to fix them. And then there's, if you need, if you have questions, you ask them in the Facebook group. You also get bonus group live question and answer with me. Um, And then I also have a health coach and a nervous system retraining coach um, with some of our higher end programs, if that's some things that people are interested in.
1: Sounds very thorough and very helpful. <laughs> so after, your, after this episode does go live, in the show notes, of course, we'll have a link to his book and to his course, uh, but we'll probably send out an email to our list as well about, about this course that you have. Sounds extremely useful.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah. My mission is to help a million people resolve their fatigue. And I realized when I had my brick and mortar that I wasn't going to do it with one-on-ones. And so that's kind of why, you know, course and group is really where I'm focusing my time and my energy so that I can, I mean, I get so many people from Europe, they don't have the resources that they need. And so I actually just set up a lab and a supplement store in Europe in, you know, in order to be able to support those
1: people. Entrepreneur there. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today and helping our audience hear many strategies on how they can hopefully fix their fatigue, but emphasizing how important it is to find the cause. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for being a guest on the show.
0: Thanks so much for having me on.
1: This episode really got me thinking and I hope it did you as well. Episodes like this are why I launched this podcast, to propose solutions you may never have heard of before. Mold is common, as are Lyme and co-infections, and if you aren't improving, find a provider who can comprehensively assess you for these and get you treated so that you can gain your life back. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online, where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, not only is the course 50% off, but you also get your first consult with me for free. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I read all of the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, or how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thanks so much for listening and remember...